Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes. And let me start by this great quote from Professor Dr. Arnold Bucker, who is actually our guest today. And he writes on his website, enthusiastic employees excel in their work because they maintain the balance between the energy they give and the energy they receive. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you, Professor Bucker Arnold. Thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you. Nice to that you have me. This quote is is really capturing, I think, the essence of why I was so enthusiastic and, and interested in hosting you on our podcast and also your work and, and some of the work we do. As a way of introduction, uh, Professor Bucker is a, a professor and chair of the research group Work and Organizational Psychology of the Institute of Psychology at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, the Netherlands. He's also the Secretary General of the Alliance for Organizational Psychology, Fellow of the Association of Psychological Science and Adjunct Professor at Lingnan University in Hong Kong. And I could go on about all of your titles and a lot of your publications, but your main research interests are positive organizational phenomena such as work engagement, flow, happiness at work, and also the processes that lead to job performance. So really, really exciting things. Now, to kick off our conversation, I would like to turn this over to you. Would you mind telling listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey, your passion, and how you develop this core research interest? Good. That's a good starting question. Well, I've been in this field for more than 20 years now. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it because when I when I entered the field of I.O. psychology um, after I studied I.O. psychology, um, I focused on burnout. And um, burnout is a state where people have lost most of their enthusiasm and are chronically fatigued. Uh, so we we looked at the drivers of that, the uh, reasons for that, and whether this is contagious and so forth. Uh, but after studying this for one or one and a half year, I thought, wow, there are uh, it's about five percent of the workforce has uh, clinical levels of burnout. But that means that a lot of people do not have 
um, signs of burnout. And, and then we started looking at the opposite of burnout, which is um, engagement. And I think um, it's extremely exciting to, um, to study this and to uh, work uh, with the concept of work engagement. That is the state of people feeling full with energy and enthusiasm about their work. Because by doing research and generating new knowledge about this, we can potentially have um, an impact on, on the working lives of, of a lot of people through the publications, through, through lectures uh, and so forth. So, yeah, that's, that's my passion because I'm very much interested in, in people and what drives them. And uh, that's what I can do every day. Thank you so much. Um, one aspect that I wanted to pick up already on your background is this idea of burnout versus engagement. Do you find that this is perhaps a time for a paradigm shift when we move from more of a deficit or scarcity mindset? What people don't have or what people lack in terms of their motivation and burnout to a more of an abundance mindset, a mindset where we see how we can motivate people, how can we enrich their lives, how work can be a source of, of pleasure and achievement, and looking at people's own capacities for, for all of this instead of looking at more from almost from a pathological angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this shift has happened already to a certain extent, but still the focus is very much on prevention, on curation, so making people better and so forth. I think the point is that um, having a low score on job stress or low score on burnout doesn't mean that you are full, fully engaged in your work. Also, if you focus on where things go wrong and uh, wh- what the causes are of job stress or burnout, uh, then you are already uh, too late when people start to uh, stay home sick and so forth. So what we want to study is the situation where people can flourish, where they can be uh, happily engrossed in their working life and uh, create beautiful things. So um, that's, let's say, the other side of the coin that that has not uh, received enough attention. And it's it's really important also in practice. Let me give you an example. I think it's almost like 18, 19 years ago that I um, did a study at a consultancy firm. And at this firm, they were working really very hard. So we could see high, very high um, work pressure scores and uh, high levels of burnout. And when I presented this in front of the um, of the management board, they first said when I talked about 75% of the people um, stating that they had very high levels of work pressure, then somebody in the audience said, oh, how can we make that 100%? That was an amazing remark. And I thought, okay, you can look at it like this, like very economic, very rational. But of course, working hard is is okay for performance, but it comes at the price. You have the, the side effect of becoming fatigued. And if you don't have an eye for that, uh, then you will be eventually in, in trouble. So one of the other things I presented was that um, I think like uh, 30% of the of the consultants were under such a high level of um, pressure that they um, reported clinical levels of burnout, really high levels of burnout. And then they started questioning uh, the validity of my approach, whether the sample was representative, 
whether this was good scientific research. So I learned that when you tell managers that um, there are a lot of things that go wrong in their organization, then they automatically switch to the resistance mode. So therefore, it's always important to look at both sides. So I, I'm uh, usually in practice, what we do is we look at the at the stress side, but we also particularly also focus on um, on the positive side. And in that way, you can tell uh, management what goes wrong, but also what goes well. And that's that's very important for for chains and for acceptance of the results of the study and so forth. I, I very much uh, enjoyed uh, this uh, anecdote that you gave because this is something that has been also fascinating us, whether it's possible to decouple notions of success and performance from the idea of sacrifice and suffering and pain, that hard work has to come at a price, which you just said. So in light of this, in light of all of the research that is already out there and your own research and your own experience, from your point of view, how we could imagine a workplace of the future? Uh, what are the things that maybe employers and workplaces are still getting wrong that despite the evidence, we know that there should be a different way? Well, I've, I think this is an excellent question as well. I think that in many workplaces, what we forget is a basic principle. And uh, we've done research on this as well. Not, not, not so much um, as I, I would like to, but this is research on recovery. So if you work hard, what is important is to also recover well. And um, what a workplace of the future should do better than what's happening in most workplaces is to um, incorporate opportunities for recovery during the workday and also in between the workdays. This is very important because if you, if you can recover from the work-related effort, that means that the next day or the next moment in the same day, you can better handle all the demands that come to you. So the complex problems that you have to face or difficult customers that you have to handle, uh, that will be easier if you have had enough time to, uh, to recover. So I think, I think in terms of redesigning workplaces, we need attention for recovery and uh, for, the, um, for the idea that working hard is really good for performance, but it has the side effect of fatigue. So we have to work on um, restoring the energy level. And the second thing is, and uh, a lot of our research has been on this, uh, what is very important for workplaces is to install enough job resources like offering social support, coaching, opportunities for development, autonomy and support, but also offering uh, the employees enough uh, space and uh, autonomy to do this themselves. So to craft their jobs such in such a way so to, to modify their job demands and job resources such that they can use their strengths and, <clears throat> and uh, focus on the things that you're really good at. So what is your opinion on ping pong tables and fruit bowls and yoga classes? I think... This is okay, but it is only dealing with symptoms and it can help a little bit to recover. So to, let's say, recover from the fatigue, but it doesn't bring you new energy or new motivation. 
So I think you need a little bit more than ping pong tables and uh, and fruit. So the fruit and the ping pong tables are definitely useful, but but that's not that's not doing something about the core cause of fatigue, and uh, that would be to install. Uh, job resources to have people with um, having sufficient personal resources and support. So that takes us perhaps a little bit to my my second uh, question, which was um, also linked to your one of your recurrent themes in your research, which is employee engagement. So what what do you think would would you say to listeners? What are the key factors that foster engagement in people and in reverse, what are perhaps the things that put people really off? And what are some, some of these that, just as we said about ping pong table and yoga, where managers feel that, you know, this is a, a quick fix or this is a low budget investment, but only acts on the surface? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true, that it acts only on the surface. And therefore, um, we need to really look at the design of jobs. So when it comes to top down um, interventions or top-down strategies to facilitate employee work engagement. So the situation where employees feel full with energy, uh, feel really dedicated to their work and enthusiastic about it, and are also really immersed in the work so that they really focus and uh, and can show peak performance, can show uh, very good performance. That is that that um, they need challenges. So it can be. Um, a complex task or something that's just above your skill level. Uh, it could also be a certain type of pressure like deadlines and so forth. But what is crucial is that these challenges are combined with um, sufficient job resources, like having enough instrumental or informative social support from colleagues uh, to be able to deal with all the work pressure or the high work uh, workload or um, having the opportunity to follow a training so that you learn how to deal with complicated issues that customers or clients bring up. So you need to install as management sufficient job resources so that people can deal with the, with the challenging job demands. On the other hand, um, uh, you were asking what are the, the factors in working life that make people disengaged or that 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 are very stressful. These are known uh, in the literature as uh, so-called hindrance job demands. And hindrance job demands are all the things that stand in your way in, in your way of achieving your work goals. So if you if you want to, as a researcher, publish uh, a, a very nice paper, or you are a surgeon and you want to work with patients focus very well you, you need all the all the resources to do so and and um, um, you should not be distracted by bureaucracy role ambiguity that's another hindrance demand conflicts with co-workers these are all kinds of things that stand in your way of achieving your work goals I, I really enjoy listening to your really clear um, explanation of this. But when I think about the organizations and workplaces we come across, uh, uh, it seems like the big question is whose responsibility is to take the time and to go into workplace and or in their own organization or even in their own units and do a kind of an assessment of all of this and and change it for the better. 
because what we find very often is that you have uh, Joe in sales and Joe leaves. So the company is now going to try to recruit the new Joe. Uh, based on Joe's previous work uh, description and tasks and without even looking at more beyond the surface. And and that's what I want to... Whose role is this in organizations and why aren't more organizations taking this approach and looking more into the details and, and the me- mechanisms of, of, of this and just, you know, the yoga class and the ping pong table? Well, well, I think the reason is that a lot of managers are not educated to think like an organizational psychologist. So they think in terms of finances, they think in terms of um, um, certain financial goals, and and they do not have all the knowledge we have, like what it takes for people to become motivated and to put in even more effort than you would expect on the basis of their qualifications. I think uh, the implication of this is that people who are trained in economics or uh, trained in finances and who are CEOs of firms, they need to be educated in a better way that um, uh, human resource management is a core and strategic uh, facet of uh, running uh, a company and running a business. In terms of who is responsible, I think you can look at management, you can look at leaders um, on the work floor, but uh, we also need to put some of the responsibility with uh, with the employee, employees. So I think the best combination is top-down and bottom-up. So management needs to uh, create a good workforce. And in Europe, in many countries, we have laws saying that companies need to take care that the, that the workplace is a safe place, is a healthy workplace. Uh, So we have laws for this on the one hand, so the responsibility is partly for the firms, but on the other hand, uh, employees also need to create their own optimal work environment all the time because the the fit that that you have when you enter a company that may disappear after a while when the when the environment starts to ask different things from you. When, when you grow older, get more experienced, or you, your preferences or your abilities change, uh, then you start to have a misfit with your job. And, and therefore, you will, in, in order to be engaged in your work, you will constantly have to work on this. And do you find in your research that as work is becoming more digital, as a lot of the routine tasks and processes are automated and the work almost in every sector is becoming more of an interaction with some machine or other that this demand that is put on humans is much more strenuous that that actually a lot of uh, what you discuss what you explained needs to be even more given even be more importance to ensure that that employees can have this kind of peak performance and engagement in very complex and difficult tasks, often when the kind of easy or routine part of the tasks has just fallen by wayside. And now a lot of their work is, is quite challenging and demanding. Yeah, I definitely agree that that uh, work has shifted from from more physical demands, at least in in the Western world, I think there are still a lot of physical tasks to be done, and a lot of it is done in, in Asia but and, and, and in other parts of the world. A lot of the work has become 
very much um, mentally demanding or cognitively demanding in addition to emotionally demanding so we have to deal with a lot of information we need to deal with a lot of people with the emotions of people we need to be able then to to manage your own emotions in order to be able to manage other people's expectations and emotions so a lot of the work is now going through your brains instead of just through your hands where you can do repetitive movement and and do your work without any thinking and the problem of course is that that this means that after you leave your workplace it's not so easy to leave your work at the workplace so you take it home because it's in your mind and when it's in your mind you may um, continue to ruminate about it when you're at home or um, you may have all the facilities, all the all the instruments like smartphones, helping you to remind you of all the things that you've been doing at work. So you check your mails, um, uh, you look at your I- iPad, or um, you look at your laptop, and and before you know it, you're back into your work mode uh, mode uh, again. And this is a problem because, uh, like I uh, started saying at the be- beginning of this interview. Work and being engaged is also about distancing from work and recovering from work so that you can be uh, and continue to be engaged. So this has become more difficult because of the nature of the work that we are now having compared to uh, to the past. And, and you, you also have done some research on flow. I asked uh, provocatively uh, another podcast guest whether perhaps the main and almost only a role of a manager is going to be to create um, an environment where people can be in their flow. Uh, where where do you see this coming in? Well, I think flow actually seems to come in at the very mundane activities that employees may need to do and at the very creative, high level and, and very challenging, very complex activities that employees may need to do. So, so flow is a situation where you are um, completely immersed in the activity and uh, where you are in having a peak performance. Uh, this can be the case when you are working at an assembly line and, um, and, and doing repeated movements and making this almost like automatic, as uh, Csikszentmihalyi High uh, would describe in his early work. But also, if you, if you are in a creative business, into marketing, for example, or you need to write a scientific article or set up a, a smart study, uh, things like that, or, or make new products and so forth, then you will also need to show peak performance, and uh, which means that you really need to focus and, 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 and try again and again and again, put in a lot of effort, be very much intrinsically motivated to be able to persist to do it again and again and again, because that will eventually uh, make you succeed so the question is, can leaders facilitate this? And isn't it the sole role of leaders to facilitate this? I think uh, on the one hand, if you agree that, that, that in the future, employees will need to take more responsibility for themselves and that leaders should facilitate this, uh, we should also realize that in order to peak, you also need some lows. So you, you, you cannot peak all the time. If your work is really creative work, then maybe uh, the management of flow should also, um, should also imply that you have enough 
time to to do nothing and to um, to to recuperate from the effort that you've just um, put into something. So this is a daily thing. It's not something that you can say in general, but this is something that needs to be managed uh, at the micro level, at the daily level. And then in that way, um, it's possible, I think, to to create circumstances where people can have more um, flow experiences and come up with more creative outcomes or uh, be more effective at an assembly line. Fantastic. Before we go to the last question, may I ask you to share with listeners where they can find out more about your work? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to, to tell that my, um, I have a website called arnoldbucker.com. There are many um, PDFs of articles that I've uh, written available, and um, so people can download them and use them. Also, I'm uh, active on Twitter under the, the name of Prof. A.B. Bucker, that's Baker with double K, Prof. A.B. Bucker. So I'm also active on ResearchGate and on uh, LinkedIn. So if you, if you type Arnold Bucker, you will find me. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Now, coming to the last question, which is always the same here on the Work Life Podcast. If I could ask you to give a CEO an advice, one advice to uh, improve the work experience and engagement of uh, his or her employees. What would be your advice? My advice would be to give people um, sufficient autonomy to use their strengths. So th- this may mean this may mean that you are not monitoring everything employees do, but give them the leeway um, to optimize their own job demands and job resources to a certain extent so that they could craft their jobs to um, yeah, well, to be enthusiastic about what they do because people craft their jobs. They want to change things so that it fits better with their personal abilities and their personal prefer- preferences. And if there is a good fit between uh, what, you, what you're able to and what you prefer and the work environment, then you will do your work um, with high levels of enthusiasm, uh, enthusiasm and energy. So if, if there would be one tip, uh, it would be um, uh, offer people the opportunity to craft their jobs. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Professor Bakker. Arnold, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast today and sharing this wealth of uh, experience and insight with our listeners and and i wish you really the best uh, in your future in your future work thank you very much it was a pleasure